Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to the Life, Death, and Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium. I know it seems like a strange combination, but that gives me a unique view of life and death. Death can be scary. I get that. That's why I'm doing this. I want to help people explore life, death, and what it all means. We are born and we die. What we do in the middle is the space between. In 2006, David Ditchfield had a freak accident in which he was dragged under a speeding train. As the surgeons fought to save him, he had a profound near-death experience and journeyed to what he believes was the afterlife. When he woke up in a hospital, he had acquired astonishing new abilities where he could produce fine art paintings and compose classical music. This is all the more astonishing as David had never received any training in classical music and never composed any music before his NDE. In fact, to this day, he cannot read or write a single note of musical notation. His debut symphony, The Divine Light, was inspired by his NDE and was premiered at a sellout concert. Additionally, Dave has completed more than 30 paintings and a number of commissioned artworks. He lives, paints, and composes in a converted Riverside Mill near Cambridge, United Kingdom. David also has a book coming out in early 2020 called Shine On, which he describes his remarkable journey. And if you want to hear more about his journey even sooner, David will be participating in the Near-Death Experience Summit on June 23rd, which you can find more information about on the universityofheaven.com. But today, we have David with us to tell us part of his story. Hi, David. Hi, Amy. Good to meet you. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. So can you tell us about your near-death experience and particularly about what life was like before your near-death experience, the near-death experience, and then how everything changed for you? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I was... I was seeing a friend off at the railway station and uh and my coat got caught in the, the doors of the departing train so i got dragged along the platform and then as the train pulled off at great speed i lost my footing and then i got pulled down between the space of the platform and the train itself and was pulled under the wheels so um you know it was a miracle that i survived that you know the rail police who came in and did, a, did all the inquiries told me afterwards that they, the whole team said I should be dead. There's no way I should have survived that. And mm-hmm. they can work it out, you know. So, yeah. So that's what happened to me. So it was pretty severe accident. It was pretty, you know, pretty horrific. Basically, I mean, I, I, was, I, was being, I was taken into hospital by the paramedics into the emergency department. And um, I can remember at that stage, there was a lot of frantic goings on, doctors racing around, sort of trying to save me, basically. And... Uh, you know, there was a lot, a lot of frantic voices going on and there was fluorescent light sort of like shining in my eyes and I was in an awful lot of pain. And and I suddenly went from that place to a, a much more calm and peaceful place. And uh, it was just, um, the, tra- the change was quite sort of a, a welcoming, obviously, but also really quite profound. Um I remember lying there and I was suddenly looking into, into like these, what were three grids 
of um, white light. But this light was really pure and really beautiful to look into. I, I felt really comforted from these lights, and I felt like the, the energy coming from the light was almost healing me. And um, I suddenly realized that all the, all the pain, the extreme pain that I was in, had gone. And uh, I looked down to, look, to see my body, and I realized that um, I was just covered in, like, was, like was, I could only describe as this beautiful, like, silk, satin-style cloth it was like a like a, a like a blanket of, of, of satin and I, I just felt really comforted by that and um i realized that all the injuries to my body um had suddenly disappeared you know there was like i'd been losing copious amounts of blood my arm my left arm was severed in the accidents so you're at the hospital yeah, i'm at the hospital yeah the these grid-like things you feel wrapped in this silk she. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I realised that I'm I'm in a different place altogether, and and I I felt like I was in like a like a, a warm sort of room at that point. I saw these like pulsating lights around me, and they were just kind of like colours of ambers and greens and reds, just pulsating. Then I felt like I was lying. I looked round. I was lying on what could only I could only describe as a huge piece of slate, like a big rock. But it felt really comfortable. You know, you wouldn't expect it to be comfortable, but it was. I just felt so comfortable there. Then the next thing uh, I noticed was um, this um, being of light that was stood at my feet um, that was just smiling at me with, with a really, almost like a knowing smile. And I felt like I knew this being. The being I would describe as having like sort of blonde hair and uh, being androgynous, neither male nor female. Mm. And, uh, and this, but it was... It was a very caring sort of love that was coming from from this being, and I just thought it's almost like like meeting my soulmate. You know, if you bump into somebody at a party and you feel like I've known you for years, it was that same feeling, but a lot more profound. You know, it was very deep. So I felt comforted. I felt that this being was here for some reason, and I was wasn't sure what that reason was going to be. You know, and then the next thing I noticed that was a. There were two other beings in, in female form appeared either side of me to my left and right. And they had their, their hands kind of like over my body, just kind of like healing me, almost similar to Reiki healing. And it was like sort of, and the energy coming from their hands was just so beautiful. It was like a, I felt like I got this sensation of love just kind of pulsating through me. When I say love, it was like the, all the types of love that you experience in your life, whether it's through your mother, your father, your pet cat, or, or, your, or your lover, you know, and it's all encompassed into one. And it was a very powerful feeling of love. And uh, it was, it was the, at that point, I, I felt like I died and I thought that I'd passed on to the next stage. And I thought, wow, this is like, this is beautiful. This is like great. And I'm, you know, I was quite happy to be there. And, um, and I saw it. I just knew that I was being healed. Even though when I looked at my physical wounds, they disappeared. I knew that the, that my soul needed replenishing as well because that had taken a, a huge bashing just as much as my physical body had. Um, then the next thing that at that point, I suddenly realized that there was this huge white light behind the, the, the being at my feet. And, uh, and, this white light was in this, it was a pure white light and it was in the center of like, it's kind of like almost like swirling sort of flames that were like rotating very slowly. And this kind of 
it was like a tunnel of light and this tunnel of light was just slowly approaching and coming closer to me. And I just thought, wow, that's where the, uh, the, the main source of energy is coming from. This feeling of love and, and warmth and protection is coming from this light. So um, I, I just kind of laid back and just kind of like embraced it really because it was just like I'd just been through the most incredibly torturous experience in my life, you know. And um, here I was experiencing the most beautiful uh, experience in my life. Um, th- at that point, I, I suddenly thought, wow, what about my family? Because I knew that my family were, were back in the hospital because they'd been called in, you know, and, and um, they were all around my body and back in the hospital. Did you see them? I, well, I looked, I, just, I looked hoping to see them. So I kind of looked over the, over the side of this huge slate that I was laying on, hoping to see them. And when I looked down, I suddenly saw what I can only describe as this wonderful sort of like waterfall of stars. And they were just kind of like beautifully like cascading into like this massive abyss of even more stars. And then, and then it was like they were disappearing into, into another galaxy. So it suddenly felt like I was like, I really was out in this huge universe rather than in a, in a, in a small darkened room that I, I'd first thought I was in. So, yeah. Um, so, no, I didn't actually look down and see, see my, my, my family, as it were. And then you obviously returned to your body. Yeah. Because here we oh. are, <laughs> right? Yeah, I returned to my body, yeah. And, uh, and that, was, that was quite a sort of a, a shock, you know, to sort of come from all that warmth and beauty and to suddenly be back in the hospital with all that kind of anxiety rushing around me, all that noise, you know, it was like, it was kind of overkill of noise and, 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 and light and everything was just kind of like glaring and the pain, the pain was suddenly there again. And it was just like pretty horrible to come back to that. And um, yeah, and then at that point I was wheeled straight into, into surgery, you know, and they, they, they spent about, I don't know, seven and a half hours on the first lot of surgery, I think. So, yeah. And it, so at that part, you were back in your body. Yeah, I was back in my body at that point, yeah. Okay. And what, what happened? I mean, I'm assuming you had a long recovery. Yeah. What happened once you finished your recovery? Like, how did you realize that you had these new skills? I realized very early on, to be honest with you, because um, when I came around from the first round of oper- operations, um, I remember my family coming in to see me, you know, and they were really shocked because at that stage I could, I could hardly move. I, was, I, was, I got my own room in the hospital and I was just laying in this bed and I could, could hardly move. But when, when my family came in, they were just, my mother commented afterwards, she said that when, when she used to come and visit me with, with my father, they said that I was glowing. They, I just kind of like, I was, even though I was in this physically awful state, that I just seemed to have this kind of energy that was glowing. And uh, my mom also commented that she felt that I was kind of giving strength to others around me, like my family and, and the nurses who were looking after me. And I was kind of radiating that strength. And, and I felt that as well. You know, despite all the physical pain and, uh, that I was struggling with, that I felt like I just got this incredible energy. Like I was still, part of me was still in that place that I'd been to. And, and I was still attached to it, you know. And it was like that charge of energy that had been given to me by, by those beings was still 
being given to me at that point when I was in the hospital. So I I knew that I had to do something about it. I, I was desperate to record what had happened and make. I was scared at that point that I would I'd forget it, what had happened, and I would, didn't want that to be the, the you know the case. So the very first night, my sister came in to see me. I remember she said, "Can I get you anything? You know, I bring you anything in?" And I said, "Yeah, can you get me a, a little sketch pad and a pencil?" You know, and she went, "Really?" I said, "Yes, really." So she brought that in for me, and um, and I remember that I got the nurses to like to support this little pad, and I very I do these crude little sketches of what I wanted to eventually go into a painting, even though I'd never done any paintings like this before. I got it in my mind that I was going to create this huge canvas, like a, a Michelangelo style. That, I was ambitious. I wanted it to be big because what had just happened was so big that it had to be recorded. Yeah. So I was quite sort of, you know, I, I knew then that, that um, as I was doing those little sketches, that it wasn't me it was of old. This was, these were new ideas that were coming through and they were forming uh, very lightly, of course, because I, I didn't have much force as I was drawing, but they were forming very, very strongly. And I knew that the painting was going to be something special uh, to me anyway. Um, so, yeah. And this has, so there was the art piece, the paintings, but then That's you right. also had the musical gifts. That's right, yeah. That, that, came, came, that came afterwards, yeah. The paintings, you know, once I was uh, well enough to start this very first painting, uh, I was actually, yeah, I was apprehensive when I got the canvas because I did go out and get a huge canvas and I thought, wow, I've got to do this now. But as soon as uh, I started painting, I suddenly realized that the ideas going onto that canvas were coming through very confidently and I was painting. And I was, I'd stand back at the end of each day and I'd go, wow, you know, this is coming on great. And so I just thought, and I'd started to realize very early on that I was uh, channeling ideas and these ideas were coming through to me that I felt like, again, I'd still got this connection with this other place that I'd been. And, and, and I felt that I was being helped to actually record what had happened for other people to see. And um, so, and as my paintings, after that, I kept, I was quite prolific. I was painting one after another because I knew that the ideas were coming through, you know, thick and fast, you know, so, uh, yeah. So you talk about, channeling your art and music can you describe a little what channeling is like for you because i think for some of my listeners that might seem a little bit out there for them like they're not you know and (laughs) what did you do before your what did you do how old were you when this happened to you i was i was 46 when this happened to me 46 Um, when this happened yeah yeah but before this happened i was uh i was I was basically doing manual labouring. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd left school without any qualifications uh, because I was, di- well, I'm dyslexic, but I wasn't then diagnosed with uh, being dyslexic at that point. Um, you don't even uh, look 46 now. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> how, so how long ago was this? It was 2006 when this happened. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. So... Um, um, anyway, um, so did, do you feel like that it made you look younger? <laughs> the healing <laughs> that you experienced? I, I, the jury's out on that one, you know. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, it's it's interesting because it it happened, you know, on on the fifteenth of February, uh, two thousand and six. So every year at that point at four p.m. in the afternoon, I kind of like sort of sit down. I have a little 
place on my own and I just send out prayers of thanks, you know, for like, for sending me to, to, to well, help me, help, uh, hold on, let me start again. <laughs> <laughs> I send out my prayers of thanks for saving me that day, basically, and, and for, for, for bringing me back and giving me all, all these new sort of fans, sort of skills that are, to be able to help me to, to go through life now because before I was I, I was in a bad place you know I just because I'd, I'd failed so much at school that I wasn't really cut out for manual laboring there's nothing wrong with manual laboring but I, I looked around and I could see that the other guys were doing it much quicker and efficiently than me and uh, I realized now that I'm in a, I'm more comfortable in my skin because I'm I'm creating and it's kind of like that's what I was meant to be doing but I just wasn't led there before because I got no qualifications to do that. So it's almost like I've going back to the channeling. It's almost like I've, I've, I've had a crash course in how to not only paint um, canvases, but also to write music for orchestra, which I could never have dreamt of before. Before I was playing guitar. I was like a guitarist, you know, playing you know, sort of three chord songs and, uh, you know, thrashing out chords when I was younger, but I never would have, yeah, had any ambitions to think that I could write for orchestra, but the channeling came through quite strongly with that, you know, because because obviously it was a, a whole new arena, and I felt I was hearing sounds, you know. I, I remember I'd sit down at my little old Spanish synthesizer and uh, and I'd just kind of like start playing a few chords, and then all, I'd hear melodies. Melodies would come through, and, uh, and then counter melodies, and then. I'd start to think, oh, I can hear like a horn sound here. And I knew nothing about what a French horn was at that point, you know, but then I realized afterwards that what I was hearing. And so that's what I was playing. And, um, you know, it all, it all came together. Um, and also, interestingly enough, it, it installed with me with an awful lot of confidence because, the, you know, in all fairness, the classical world is, is it's quite... It's um, I don't. It can be quite overwhelming if you, if you're not sort of qualified and intellectual in that, mm-hmm. yeah, as it were, you know. But so so yeah, it helped me to find the confidence to overcome that fear, you know. So you've written symphonies, but you don't. Do you play music, or you no, just I don't, write? I don't play, and and I still can't actually write a single note of note proper notation. Um, I mean, I use um like a as I say, a synthesizer, and then that's that's plugged into like um, a computer, and I have like a program that um, enables me to sort of play these notes in, and then you know you, you get a, a basic sort of form of, of of score that comes up. But my brother, thankfully, he, he is classically trained, so I hand over like the rough ideas that I've written, well, the the rough format, I should say, that from my computer, and then he helps tidy it up because he knows all the kind of inflections that I'm looking for, how to write those in, you know, for, for the orchestra. And, and do then, you describe to him those inflections or he? Yeah, yeah okay. I describe everything. You know, it's nothing, nothing changes. Everything that I want that I hear, I, can't, I don't want to change a single thing. And I've learned to sort of hear absolutely every individual instrument in an orchestra, you know, right from the violin to the piccolo and, you know, to, to the big drum. So do you do you say like do you get in a meditative state and say, uh, show me what the piccolo is going to sound like in this orchestra, or it just each instrument comes to you on its own? Yeah, each instrument comes to me on its own. 
I don't actually ask, I don't say, can you share me? I never say, will you share me anything? I just kind of like hope that the, the that they're going to be behind me and they're going to give me the inspiration, you know, to for the ideas to, to come through. Mm-hmm. And I and I kind of let them grow organically, as it were, you know. They, I'm not sure what those actual instruments are going to be at first, you know. I just might hear a melody and think, that sounds sweet, you know, that sounds like somebody whistling, there you go. And then I think, well, that, that, that turns out to be a piccolo. And, uh, and what have you and and as time's gone on i've obviously got to realize you know all the all the rich textures that you can get out of an orchestra you know and um i'd be a bit more ambitious and and, and stuff you know with my with my chords as well you know it's like i i the the first piece i wrote i i, I had um i, I went to to a, a tenor singer who's who and he's he's quite renowned around cambridge and i went to him to ask if he knew anybody who would sing this for me and when I showed him the score he said this is really good he said your 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 way of using chords are, are totally unusual and he said I like that and he said I'll sing it for you and he offered to sing it himself which was like really quite amazing because he's got such a beautiful voice but it also him saying that really gave me an awful lot of confidence because I just thought well you know if he's turning around saying those chords are unusual but they work is great you know it means that I'm onto something <laughs> so do you have more of a preference or leaning towards the art or the music or does it go back and forth or it goes back and forth yeah it really does so there's no real preference you know both both are important to me you know and uh, and and I and I guess both of them are, yeah, just both of them sort of also do get stronger as well as I go along because you know I'm 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 getting better at my craft you know mm-hmm. developing it Mm -hmm. like anybody and what was it like for you staring death in the face because i mean that was that's quite a story yeah um well to be honest with you um yeah of course yeah it is it's when it actually comes to you it's like i because i did actually think this is it i'm not going to survive this you know once my coat was trapped and the speed of that train was, you know, really pulling up. It suddenly was no longer a train. It was like this huge beast that was just going to, like, completely devour me. You know, that's how it felt. Mm-hmm. And um, so, interestingly enough, I kind of, like, I kind of rationalised it. It's, it's it, what took a matter of seconds for me to be dragged along the platform and underneath because the, the police actually timed it all because it was on CCTV footage and what have you and they measured it all up um felt to me like like minutes i was really shocked when they said how long it took i said i said god i thought i thought it took minutes for me because i had time i felt to actually stop and think about what i was going to do i thought right you know i'm going to hit the but the, the the open and close door buttons first no that's not working okay i'll try, try banging on the window that's not working i'm going to scream for a guard and 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 i did it all almost with with kind of a lot of calm you know I was quite calm about it at the same time I was petrified because mm-hmm. I thought I was going to die um, and when the train accelerated I, I kind of decided right I am going to die now so I decided just to kind of let myself go with it I decided not to not to tense up and scream or anything I just slowly went under you know oh well I didn't want to slowly go under but it's interesting because my friend who was seeing off you know bless her she had to watch the whole thing unfold. Oh gosh. He was, he was right behind the doors, obviously. 
And she told me afterwards when she came to see me in hospital, she said that she remembers running to the window to look to see if I, if I was okay. And she said she saw me go under. And she said, she said, you know what was so odd? You went under kind of with, so gracefully. And she said, I hope you don't mind me telling you that. I said, no, I'm glad you did tell me that because that's how I felt at the time. <laughs> that um, I'd, I'd heard a, a story, a news story, that a couple of weeks previous about a fire in an apartment block and uh, they'd thrown a baby from the window like three floors and the baby survived without any broken limbs and they, they said it's because babies don't tense up because they're just totally relaxed, you know. And so I kind of had that in my head as well as I thought about that. I thought, think about that article, you know. That might just save you, you know, and it may, it may well have done, you know. So. Well, it sounds like maybe there was a higher, higher power. There definitely was, yeah. That, that <laughs> prevented that from being, being the end for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it most certainly was, you know. I mean, I would, I would say that, that, that when, when you've gone through something like that, it does actually take something away from you, in all fairness. There's something... You know, it takes a bit of a, of, a, of a kind of like swagger away from your spring in your step, as, as you might say. But, you know, it also has, has given me an awful lot in return. But a lot of that's come basically from having the NDE, you know. So, you know, I'm, I'm in a better place now than what I was before. When you say it takes something away from you, what do you what do you feel like? it? it I mean, obviously, you faced your mortality head on. Yeah. It's almost like it's almost like you, you, I felt like I was being I was shaken and like a rag doll and because you know, when I went under it was like I was fully conscious throughout the whole ordeal you know and it was just like being thrown into a washing machine on full rinse you know or mm-hmm. whatever or, or into a mincer it was just like really pr- pretty and it, and I just felt like my whole body really never really recovered from from that and and not just that it, it took something away from me. You know, in terms of like, uh, I don't know. It's it, it that's there is going to be some payoff from, from having such a horrific accident, and I think that would happen to most people. You know, mm-hmm. who've gone through something quite huge physically like that. You know, that's going to happen because so, what I've learned is there's so much about the human body and mind and, and and spirit that we don't know. And my consultant actually said that to me because I talked about him. I was lucky; I had like this fantastic consultant. And uh, I used to talk to him, and uh, he actually said to me, he said, you know what, he said, people come in here and they think we've got all the answers, but we haven't, you know. So mm-hmm. there's a lot to learn still. <laughs> and what would you say, because we, we have to wrap up here in just about a minute, okay. what would you say are your three biggest takeaways from this experience that my listeners could kind of keep in their pockets okay. for those that, that haven't had near death experiences. And I'm guessing most of my listeners haven't, although maybe some have, <laughs> um, you know, what, what did you take away from this? Well, the biggest one, obviously the for me that I took away from it all is not to fear death at all, you know, because I certainly don't. And, and, uh, and that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a far greater beautiful, um, thing waiting for us you know the other side and it's not the end that's uh, that's the main one and um you know from that i also i've, I've got like a, 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 i brought away like a strong faith you know that that source of light that tunnel of light that i saw that i perceive that to be the the source of all creation of life and and that light i still feel the energy comes from it and and it it, it makes me sort of stop and and, and look 
start if I need help, I turn around and look for that light, and I look to my guides or my angels, if you like, that were there for for their wisdom and their their help. Um, mm-hmm. I also, what else did I take away from me? Um, I, it, I I took away. I, oh, I felt an awful lot of love there, like I was loved unconditionally, and I, I've taken that with me. So I, I've learned to love myself, and I didn't do before. So I love myself a lot more now, and I've got a lot more love, love to give. I guess you know, I mm. hope. And um, so yeah, so that's that's it. And, and also, I suffered from an awful lot of anxiety before, and I and I realised that that didn't belong to me. You know, so I, I I don't carry around the same amount of baggage that I did before because, you know, that's that's the strength I've, I've taken from it. You know, that I'm I'm, I'm not that person. You know, and, uh, yeah. It sounds. And then, Oh, go ahead. And ultimately, the creative gifts. That's that's the other big one that that took away from it. Yeah. It sounds like you just got so much more expansive Mm. in everything, like in your creative gifts, but also in your ability to love. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. You know, it's uh, life is a lot richer for me now. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's a lot more. It's kind of a lot more three dimensional. You know, before it was all very one-dimensional and, and I was chasing after all the, the wrong things in life you know, the superficial kind of relationships that I thought would put me in a better place and now I, I you know I, I realized that you know what they, they well they just weren't for me there's nothing wrong with those people that I was chasing they just weren't the right people for me and I'm just kind of like a lot, I can judge things a lot better now you know because I've got a better perspective as I say it's more three-dimensional mm-hmm so not to make light of it, but it's like you see the colors are brighter, the music is crisper, exactly. you know, it's like... It's a, it's a richer tapestry. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, most certainly. And if people want to find you, can you tell my listeners, they should find you just to see how, sure. young, how young you look, because... <laughs> <laughs> That's really kind of you. <laughs> we we got to figure out a way to get all of us that light, right? That, <laughs> That glowing, healing light. <laughs> well, you're the first to say that to me as regards to my NDE, but that's that's lovely. Thank you so much. Um, right, well, so, yeah, so the the, if the best place to go really is the website. Really. My website for the book is called shineonthestory.com, and on there you basically get everything, that, you know, that you, you, you get leads to the other thing. But, but if not, you don't find them on there because there's, there's links to my SoundCloud page, which is Ditchfield Creation. And that's got, um, it'll have the, the recordings of, of the, the first symphony that I did, which is called The Divine Light. And that was the symphony all about my NDE. And if you want to look at my paintings, you go, uh, basically just go onto my um, Instagram page. Uh, so look up David Ditchfield or, or again, Ditchfield Creation, and, and you'll find my Instagram page there. And, and my paintings can be seen on there. Um, yeah. And I'll have all of those in my show notes as well. So yeah, if people just want to take a look in the show notes, you can find David if you are driving and couldn't write that down. <laughs> um, and and just thank you so much. The story was so illuminating and interesting. And I just am fascinated, obviously, by everybody's experience. And you'll be also speaking more in depth at the near-death experience summit which will be on june 23rd through the university of heaven correct yeah that's correct yeah yeah looking forward to that so there'll be several ndeers right Mm. ndeers and i guess everybody will be several people will be telling their stories and then there'll be 
breakout rooms where people can ask questions and follow up with some of the some of your fellow NDEers. So if people are interested in learning more about that, there will be a link at the universityofheaven.com where people can find out more and uh, sign up for the summit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it should be good. There's some good people. Yeah. Yeah, No, it looks looks like it'll be really interesting. So thank you so very much for your time today. Oh, thank you, Amy. Almost nighttime where you are. Pardon me? (laughs) And thank you for your compliments as well. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. The fountain of youth right here. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. right. Well, have a great day. Yeah, you too. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Curious about what comes next and what it all means? You can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life, death, and the space between and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have. Let me know what else you'd love to hear about or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.